DynastyLeagueFootball.com and the DLF family of podcasts. That's Tommy B. I'm the SFD, and this is the Super Flex Super Show. And here we go. One more week until the regular season finally mercifully can just start and we can stop speculating and we can start doing in the uh, doing all the work that we've been you know setting up for this entire offseason Tommy we finally get to just just do our thing and for you and I that's going to look very very differently as well we, we get to get to the standard operating procedures we'll probably even start with that next week but for the time being one more episode of prep <laughs> one more yeah and we've showed up two weeks in a row so this is the start yes. of I, I don't know if you remember the the movie major league i was just thinking about that <laughs> so we, we are on our way to a streak <laughs> we win again tomorrow that's called a winning streak <laughs> yeah there's there's like 80 percent of the listeners who have never heard of this movie and have no idea what we're talking about but if you want an oldie but a goodie Check out the movie Major League. It's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Up your butt, Joe Boo. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we've got football coming up. I mean, it is. I am so ready. I am so excited. I'm personally going to a few of these games this year. And so for me, I've got to have my lineups ready to rock. Because when you go to a football game in person, the Wi-Fi is sometimes spotty. And you can't be pivoting quite as much as you would be if you were at your house. So Mm -hmm. I need to have my standard operating procedures in order. I need to know what I'm doing with my lineups Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, into Friday. Um, So it's really important for me personally that we get these right this season. And then for all the super friends, I want to deliver for you. I want to give you really actionable content um, because you've made a choice to listen to us. And there are a thousand podcasts out there. And we're honored to be in your ears right now. We're ready to to give you some, uh, hopefully, some real helpful content this season. Yeah, absolutely. I have a question for you. What does a typical fantasy football week look for you? Like as detailed as you're willing to get? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know about you, John, but after I win or lose, I feel dramatically different in the Mm -hmm. fantasy football season. I feel like an idiot. If I've lost more than half of my leagues, I wonder, is my process wrong? What am I doing that isn't leading to results? And that's a time for me to stay resilient, to double down on the things that I know will work over the course of a season, even if they haven't borne out success in an individual week. So what I do, um, I try to do, regardless of winning or losing, is I try to stay up on injuries, especially running back injuries. But I look at their injury reports so that I know who it is I need to be attacking on waivers. If you're using a fab system, usually the tiebreaker, if you have the same bid, is the first person to get their bid in. And so if I see somebody has been injured, um, let's say it's uh, in a redraft league, Khalil Herbert gets hurt and Dante Foreman is the next guy up. I want to put in a bid as soon as possible because I want to have the first access to that player in case of a tie. Now, there's going to be different injury reports that come out, and the NFL has been absolutely terrible from a gambling and fantasy perspective at delivering actionable injury reports. They've changed the designations so that they're less helpful, which means if you're an active manager 
and you keep an eye on uh, what the beat writers are talking about, uh, what the big, big fantasy folks are talking about on a daily basis, you can gain these small edges because you hear whispers about who's practicing and who's not, who's a full participant, even if the practice reports don't state that. And so I try to keep a good eye on that because I know that if I am going to be starting these lower tier running backs, I need to be more diligent than my league mates. I try to have the most transactions out of anybody in any of my leagues. And it typically bears out that way. One thing that I am just truly God awful at <laughs> is picking who to actually start because I have so many of these types of players on my roster. And mm -hmm. so I default to start rates with my running backs. I don't try to beat the market because I know I'm bad at it. So the, mm -hmm. the value of the herd consensus actually bears out in a positive way for me at the running back position. I audited this last year and I was the most accurate uh, person in terms of running back starts in all of my leagues, save one. I was in 14 leagues last year where I was second just by using the consensus at the running back position. Is, is that just at running back or is that at every position? I like to be able to choose at quarterback. Um, I think that picking really smart resources is better than the consensus at quarterback. Mm -hmm. At tight end, I'm usually pretty mean and lean. I was just suffering through the first six or eight weeks of Kyle Pitts last year. And so <laughs> I did not do a good job there because I was a true believer and honestly still am. Um, and at wide receiver, I roster so few that if they're healthy, they're typically in my lineup. And so the decision point is very often at the running back spot. Yeah, I love that. And, and well, so do you use uh, projections at all? Like most, most of our, uh, most of our fantasy leagues, most platforms give you kind of a projected score for that player. Does, what do you do with those? Do you do anything with those? So I don't think it actually matters, but I kind of like to bully my opponents throughout the week. And I just, at the, at the very beginning, I pick whatever the highest score is on those platforms for my quote unquote optimal lineup, even if that's not the lineup that I'm going to use, because I want to push them into making a desperation trade or um, picking a suboptimal wide receiver off waivers or whatever. I want to make them make moves they wouldn't, uh, that are out of character for them. So that's the only advantage that I really see in them because the different platforms are no more or less accurate than the consensus uh, from what I've found. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I use them quite a bit. And uh, like, so it works for me, but I don't know exactly uh, how scientific this is. There could be a lot of placebo to this, mm -hmm. to be honest with you, because at the end of the day, like I'm still kind of making informed decisions, you know, which is, which is really how I prefer to set lineups. Anyways, I, I, I don't like set it and forget it. I think set it and forget it is one of the biggest flaws in a very flawed overall community <laughs> and in an overall logic chain, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't like to do that. I like to make decisions, but I do kind of, I, the way I use those, uh, those projections is to kind of compare the two lineups and, uh, you know, say just kind of who's the odds on fav favorite to win this game based on that. And then kind of make some decisions from there. And, you know, I think that like, 
it, you know, it, it's, it's less about the, the hard number and it's more about just kind of like, how close are we, mm-hmm. you know, how close, what's, what's the spread between these two teams. And, you know, if I'm going up against a team that just, that has this, you know, this massive advantage in their projections, then I know that I need to shoot for some upside, you know, in, in my lineup. So the decisions that I'm making are going to, it's going to be a little bit less about, um, you know, who are the, the high volume, you know, floor plays in a given week. And it's going to be more about, all right, who are some guys who, you know, they're not super likely to hit, but if they do, they're going to hit in a big way. Who are the guys who just, who could, you know, potentially give me a multi-touchdown game to kind of close this gap here. And, you know, conversely, if I've got a roster that, you know, my projections are set pretty high, then I know that, you know, I, I can focus a little bit more on the, on just the floor and just defend that, uh, that lead that at least the perceived lead that I have. And then you, you monitor it throughout the, the weekend, you know, starting with Thursday, which is, you know, partly why I ask, like, what is a, a typical week look like for you? Because, for a lot of people, Thursday, the Thursday night game, I think is just kind of a, a a little bit of a blip on the radar. Like it's fun, it's football, whatever. But I don't think people use that enough, you know, the outcome of that game to inform the rest of their weekend. And to me, you get quite a bit of information out of that Thursday game. If you have, first of all, if you have any number of players playing, you know, first of all, you're going to you're going to come out of that with a little bit of a handicap just in terms of the number of players that you have who can score you points the rest of the weekend. But then if those players don't, you know, get anywhere close to their projections, then all of a sudden you're even farther behind the eight ball and you've got to make some different decisions going into the Sunday games. So. You know, it's it's it can be a pretty big thing. Uh, like I said, I don't I I I don't know how scientific you necessarily want to get with the projections. I don't know how much you necessarily want to say. You know, like this is for sure what this team is going to score because what are the odds of that? But I think that it you you can kind of use, uh, you know, you can use the spread, um, to. And, and you can use the results of Thursday night to kind of inform the rest of your lineup decisions. I think you touched on all sorts of really fantastic information there. Um, and I think that that is some of the next level strategy that you've been giving the super friends for years. Um, and what it brought up in my head was what I want to do is I want to get my wide receivers and my tight ends particularly in those Thursday night games, all things being equal because Hmm. running back uh, injuries and starts can really come up to Saturday and Sunday and sometimes Monday decisions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I want to know sort of where I stand at the wide receiver and tight end positions, because if you're chasing upside, you find a whole lot at the quarterback position potentially and the running back position just based on the attrition rates. So when you're, when you were talking about that, that's, that was my first thought is, can I get, you know, if I've got 
two wide receiver, 22 and 23, let's say that's their ranking this, this upcoming week. If I can get that wide receiver 23 in my lineup on Thursday, I don't care about the nominal difference between the two because I'll have more clarity on what it is I need to do with the rest of my roster construction for that week. And furthermore, I want to limit Monday night games. There's all sorts of stuff that can happen. Um, we've, we've been through a lot of the COVID issues, thankfully. But last year we had that crazy uh, Bills and Bengals game, which mm -hmm. nobody could have anticipated that messed up all sorts of championship weeks. Uh, players can get sick. They can get hurt. They can get in a bar fight on Sunday night. There's all sorts of unknowns that you can't account for. And so just getting players in your lineup at a you know, Sunday 1 p.m. game, there is some benefit to that as well. Yeah. I remember a couple years ago when Odell Beckham Jr. was still playing for the Rams. And uh, he was he was questionable going into the Monday night game. And I was kind of like, man, I don't have a whole lot else that I can really do at wide receiver this weekend. So I'm just going to hope that he plays. Hope for the best here. Hope that he... Um, that he's able to play and, and, you know, help get me close to my projections. And, uh, you know, by, by doing that, first of all, like I, I did give myself, uh, I, I was able to build just a little bit of a lead, um, just because I made, you know, some, some decisions kind of based on the fact that like this may or may not happen with Beckham, but on the other side, he ended up missing the game. And I had absolutely nothing I could do. Like, I think I ended up with, I don't even remember who they were playing. And uh, I, like maybe the Seahawks. And I ended up with like the, the Seahawks fifth wide receiver in my lineup. And I lost the matchup because of it. Like, um, and, and that's kind of where, where I, I really kind of started to keep, uh, especially it, it, it depends on the settings, but in a league where uh, a player doesn't like a free agent doesn't lock until their actual game starts. I love to keep that, that one bench spot open going into the weekend so that like, cause at least I was able to pick up that, uh, you know, that, that fifth string wide receiver to replace him <laughs> because I had that open spot, but, uh, it, you know, it, it's still, it, it, it gave me at least a little bit of a chance. I didn't end up winning that game, but like that, that definitely became part of my process, but I'm kind of the same way. It makes me just a little bit afraid of Monday night games, just in general. Um, yeah. here's, here's a little strategy that you can do with the bottom of your roster. Um, if you do have, let's say a wide receiver that is, uh, slated to play Monday night, and you've got a backup running back who's truly at close to the bottom of your roster. Once bye weeks come around, pick up a backup running back that's on their bye week. If you're planning to start a wide receiver that's playing on a Monday night game, that way you have that flexibility because if a player is on their bye, you can drop them all the way up to the beginning of the Monday night game and pick up somebody else. So it gives you some of that flexibility. And if you don't have a player playing in a Monday night game, don't roster that backup running mm -hmm. back who's on a bye week get a different backup that is going to be playing that week in case an injury occurs in front of them. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, and it's tough for Monday nighters because, uh, you know, I do have, there are those horror stories, but this is something I talked about on definitely on Twitter. I don't remember if it was on the super show last year. Um, but so this is, this is one of those really tough ones because it's a kind of a superstition type of thing for me, um, that I don't think necessarily works for everybody but I, I've just seen it for myself. I always want to fire the last bullet. I, I hate, absolutely hate when all my players played on, you know, Thursday and Sunday, I'm done scoring. And uh, like, I never feel like a lead is safe if I'm done and they have at least one player playing on, on, you know, Monday night. Like sometimes I'll go out of my way to get somebody for from the Monday night game, get them into my lineup, just so that I don't have to be in that situation where it's all defense, no offense. You know, like where I I still want to be throwing punches um, at the at the very end. And anytime I can get it to a point where, like, my opponent has all of their games on, you know, Sunday morning, the Sunday early game, um, and I can. You know, I, I I can get just even just one player in the Monday nighter or the Sunday nighter even. Um, I'll do that. Like I'll go out of my way for that too. And it's horrible process. But it again, it's kind of a superstition of mine. I get it. I've, I'm almost the opposite. If I have a player that hasn't played in my mind, just as a, a personality trait, I'm an anxious person. <laughs> I'm worried they're going to get hurt. I, I'm just so anxious that. I screwed this up in some way where, you know, they're going <laughs> to pull a hamstring and warmups and I'm not going to have any options because all the 1 PM and 4 PM games are gone. And I'm just sitting there like an idiot with Keenan Allen, who's saying, play me, play me. And then he puts up zero points. Like, <laughs> I did it again. I should have just played the 1 PM player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then when they get hurt, like you, you feel personally responsible like you have to send them flowers in the hospital and stuff and yeah we let each other down it was yeah. it, i mean this this is a partnership here <laughs> <laughs> sorry i tore your hamstring um, <laughs> uh so one of the things though that you've that you've brought up several times now um is just kind of think you know talking about um like for instance the start rates for for running backs this is something we talked a little bit about off air that i kind of want to get into here um because i think this is pretty important and pretty interesting but you know just talking about how the the consensus the actual consensus the world of fantasy football um all the players not just analysts but like people who don't even you know, don't even consume any kind of fantasy football content. They just go play, uh, you know, the way that they were going to normally play and then go about their lives. That group of people, I mean, it, it's, it's, first of all, it is very nebulous, but they end up being more accurate than like, than any one analyst or any kind of even any group of analysts. 
um, which is something that you brought up off air. So I want to let you talk more about that. But I just I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and this isn't my research. There are plenty of smart people in this space um, who have also realized this and done studies and confirmed that this is true, that us as quote unquote experts, people on podcasts, people who do some of these rankings and projections, we try to beat base rates. We try to beat the consensus probabilities because we access information in ways that we think gives us an edge. And we use a lot of that information incorrectly or with a certain amount of arrogance that leads to inaccuracies. <laughs> and so if you just use the traditional base rates of whatever platform you're on, you know, the, the start rates, you are more likely than not to beat out the expert consensus rankings on a fantasy pros, let's say, where there's 60 or 100 uh, experts doing their projections each week. And there are certain experts that are just absolutely fantastic at what they do. You know, they've got a process and they do find edges. So I'm not saying, you know, we're all morons and you shouldn't listen to any fantasy person <laughs> because a lot of people put a lot of time into this and they're very intelligent and thoughtful um, and can help you win your leagues. But there is also a value to just doing what everyone else is doing in terms of start rates from a week to week proposition, because we can't predict touchdowns and the variability of touchdowns changes the dynamics of scoring. If, if you go back and look at, I don't know, week 10 of last year, I'm guessing there are probably three or four running backs that you would never assume would be in the top 24. And there's probably five or six wide receivers in the same space. And you can't guess any tight end from week to week outside of Kelsey and possibly Andrews. So the week to week variability leads us down these paths that we should not be overconfident that we can project. Yeah. I, so I like, I kind of love this just because so where, how this came up is I was originally just texting you. Like I had seen, I, I just have seen so many threads at this point on Twitter X, sorry, whatever. Um, it, just, just those threads that say something along the lines of like, these are the 10 players that you have to have in order to win a championship this year. And like, first of all, you know, for, there's kind of that arrogance that you're talking about. Um, but also, I mean, we talk all the time here about how, if you get the mix right, the names don't matter. Yep. I believe that. Like, I've seen that. I've seen that there are multiple ways to win a championship every single year, every single league. For It doesn't matter what the settings are. It, you know, it, none of that matters. There, there are multiple ways to get this done every single year. Uh, it, like even, even, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Todd Gurley, like those guys having those record setting fantasy football seasons, uh, just a few seasons ago, they still, it's not like they won a hundred percent of fantasy leagues. There were plenty of leagues that where whoever had Christian McCaffrey had nothing else and weren't able to, to get the championship. So like there's, there are always multiple ways to, to get this done. And it's always like, to me, you know, the, the casual fantasy player in me, um, the, the part of me that remembers the days when 
I wasn't doing analysis. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, putting myself out there and, and asking people to trust me and count on me um, for what I think about fantasy football. And, and I, in fact, I was more of a consumer and I was looking for somebody to tell me like, who are the players who are going to win this league for me? And I see those threads and I'm like, all right, well, I didn't get any of those guys in my draft. So I guess I'm just screwed this year. That sucks. That's not fun. You know, so yeah. like there it's, it's kind of com- comforting to, to hear like, actually those things are largely bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. I mean, if we could project them properly, you would have massive advantages. The, the largest warp advantage in most formats is having the RB one. It's more mm-hmm. than having the QB one, the tight end one, or the wide receiver one. It's by a pretty large margin in most formats as well. Yeah. The problem is we can't predict accurately who the RB one is going to be. How many people had Josh Jacobs doing what he was going to do last year? Nobody. Right. He's going for second round picks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, which to me, that's the thing that's worth chasing though. Mm-hmm. Because of, like you said, the the advantage that you can get if you find that. Um, and, I mean, it's kind of another uh, another reason to go fairly running back heavy because you're taking multiple shots at that, too. You know, And we know that those guys are going to come from the first, what, four or five rounds. Like, whoever that guy is, he's going to be drafted in the first four or five rounds of your of your fantasy draft. So... You know, like there's there's uh, there's kind of some some added motivation to, you know, to go heavy on running backs, go early at running backs, wait on wide receiver a little bit because you're going to get guys who are going to be just fine, you know, a little bit later. Like there's there's but it's it's worth chasing, you know, Um, but like you said, like. I mean, I think that we can kind of narrow it down. And I think that the process probably had us kind of gloss over Josh Jacobs. Like he was probably in a bucket that included, uh, you know, the guy, like for me, DeAndre Swift and Saquon Barkley were the guys last year. Those were the guys I wanted because I was like, those are the two players who kind of fit all the criteria, check all the boxes to be that, unfair advantage running back one overall but like you know i think that josh jacobs probably satisfied a lot of that criteria as well we just kind of dismissed him because uh, he's a raider he's i don't know he's not not as flashy not doesn't seem to be quite as talented whatever the signals that a lot of us missed out on um were pretty obvious too Yep. High draft capital. He had it. Mm-hmm. He had a receiving profile one year. He had a great rushing profile another year in his pro- in his career. He just didn't put it together yet, and he played in the Hall of Fame game. Um, and we all freaked out. It was a it was a perception thing. All of the markers were there, and mm-hmm. so I would ask, you know, if if we are falling on somebody, especially a first round pick, um, I'm looking at you, Najee. <laughs> why why are we what is it a narrative-based reason why we're falling on on these first round picks who have a receiving profile and a rushing profile mm-hmm. um or is there good reason behind it i i don't care if Najee 
isn't the fastest running back. Guess who else isn't the fastest running back? Josh Jacobs. Doesn't matter. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Volume, catching the football. Like those are the things that we're, that we're really after. I mean, I think they've got to be in a competent offense. Um, but I mean, again, you know, to your point, again, Josh Jacobs kind of like where we missed on this was thinking that this, the combination of Derek Carr and Devonte Adams was just going to fill the air with footballs and there wasn't going to be enough meat on the bone for Josh Jacobs. I think that was probably part of it. And the reality is it's like, you know, in terms of deployment, like tactically, that's a good offense. That's like, that's what you want because a defense has to, has to account for that. That's good. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just to use Pittsburgh is kind of the, the analogy here. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got good wide receivers all over the field, you, you know, with Pickens, Johnson and Fryermuth. You know, and now uh, Allen Robinson as well. I mean, you've got a good group there to where a defense isn't going to be able to just key in on the run. But, you know, just like the Raiders, just like Josh Jacobs, it's like it's a it's an offense that you have to respect, you know, in terms of like when you're scheming against them for the week. But you don't you don't really have to you didn't have to really worry about Derek Carr beating you you didn't have to and I don't think you have to worry about Kenny Pickett actually beating you so you know that like they create space without actually filling it themselves with the passing game so like it's yeah Najee Harris that's that's a really interesting one that I hadn't really thought much about but that's that he he fits he fits that mold very well he does perfectly. And to extend the narrative from last year into this year, last year we were worried about Amir Abdullah. It feels a little comical, you know, 12 months later. Um, and Zamir White taking taking work away from Josh Jacobs. And Jalen Warren was my most rostered player last year. I love him. I think he is a good backup. But we have very similar concerns this year with regards to Najee Harris and his workload being cut into by the backup running back. It's entirely possible. The, the point I'm trying to make is that we are overconfident at times in how we project these workloads. And what we should probably do is rely on draft capital, receiving profile, and previous rushing results. And that would suggest that Najee Harris is probably underrated that even if Jalen Warren is worked in more, he's still going to be worth his ADP cost and has the upside to deliver that huge warp that we were talking about earlier, where he could finish as a top one, two, or three running back in his most optimistic of outcomes. The fall off after the first handful of running backs is kind of depressing. You can get to the replacement level really quickly on a week-to-week basis with backup running backs. So you want to find those profiles like a Najee Harris that have an opportunity to push above the the muddled masses at running back. Yeah, man, this this so here's the other problem I've been running into this entire offseason. I mean, I've been trying to to convince myself of JK Dobbins. I think that he's going to be good. I think that he's going to be very solid. And I don't think there's anything wrong with 
with getting J.K. Dobbins on your on your roster for this this season, particularly at his cost. I mean, you know, he's he's probably like a fifth rounder. Um, I could look at the actual ADP in a second, but uh, you know, my guess is in a super flex redraft league, you're probably getting him in the fifth round at the earliest. So we haven't had enough of a reveal on him either. There's, there is this intangible upside with him that we have yet to see. And so I'm in total agreement with you. Um, However, it is a riskier profile and more likely to sit in that inconsequential realm of running backs, but at cost, especially if you can get him at value uh, below his ADP, he is exactly the type of player that can fill a position and allow you to execute on your advantages at the other positions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he's still one that I'm going to, I I'm, I'm really on. He's one of my, he's probably my most rostered player at this point. Uh, and you know, for my remaining redraft drafts, he's still going to be a target for me. Um, and, and part of it is that value. I think he's going to be a very solid running back too. Um, you know, I mean, you know, running back one in terms of, uh, you know, like top 12 finish. Um, and I think that he's got a good look at top five um, this season. But, you know, for for my roster, I think I would rather have him as my running back too. Uh, and, you know, a big part of it is Lamar Jackson. Like at the end of the day, like I can sit here and try and talk myself into, into Dobbins coming off of that ACL. Like this is, you know, in terms of narrative, this is absolutely what we want. This is, this hits every single season, you know, but it's, it's still like at the end of the day, like in order for me to call him, you know, running back one overall type of upside, like it, it starts with ignoring the fact that his quarterback is a little bit of a black hole for, for the running game. He runs it himself way too much, and he's not a good enough passer to really sustain drives and, and create opportunities um, for, I mean, you know, much of anyone beyond one or two of his targets, but certainly not for the, the running game. So, I, it, it, it like he can be fine, but Lamar Jackson just kind of caps his upside a little too much. I think the design of the offense is intended to throw more. And so that leads me to believe that there is going to be more structure around a traditional offense, much less so uh, the iterations of previous years in Baltimore. And so I think there's a possibility that J.K. Dobbins gets a lot more goal line work because they're trying to make the offense work the way it's intended to early in the season. Later in the season, as injuries mount and uh, you're just trying to cater to whatever talent you have left on the field, I could see Lamar running more. And so I think there's a really interesting opportunity to get Dobbins on your roster in the first few weeks of the season, see his value spike, and then possibly trade him away for a player that's actually a tier up from where he currently sits. Man, I hope you're right. I like that one. So 
one of the others and i i you know i just feel like i've been trying to kind of stick a, a square peg in a round hole basically this entire offseason trying to figure it out at running back and i think you're right naji harris probably is kind of one of the easy answers uh but another one that we've talked quite a bit about is Nick Chubb. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, there's, there's a lot about his profile that, that again, fits all the criteria that we're looking for, um, you know, in terms of, of health and usage and, and, um, you know, uh, typically they're, they're the running back one overall is a little bit younger, uh, a little, a little less usage, um, but we've seen this happen. And I mean, last year in PPR leagues, Austin Eckler at what, 27 years old, year five or six, whatever it was, ended up being the PPR running back one overall. Uh, Josh Jacobs was in standard scoring, and but Austin Eckler did it. Uh, Christian McCaffrey was top two in both formats. Like there's, there, it, you know, there's, there's a possibility there. But again, I think that I'm just kind of making some excuses so that I can explain away the reality that might exist that Nick Chubb is doesn't have running back one overall upside. I don't have these numbers in front of me right now, but I did a study a while back um, on running back finishes. And pre-2017, when we had this amazing class of running backs... Um, the RB one overall was older than we currently, uh, feel they should be. And then this amazing class came in and the running back one overall got younger because these were the folks who were finishing at the top of the running back rankings. So I could see an aging process of the RB one finisher again, uh, through this cyclical context until Bijan takes over or whoever else, uh, whatever young stud running back there is, but Chubb specifically, I have concerns about, I think that he is currently being overhyped, um, specifically based on his receiving potential. Nick Chubb last year, um, was the 42nd running back in target share in the passing game. He wasn't even in the top 100 running backs in targets per route run. And you could say, well, Kareem Hunt was in his way for part of the year. Kareem Hunt was 32nd in target share and 88th in targets per route run. So I think that's a bit of a straw man argument. And having Hunt out of the way does not automatically make Nick Chubb a... Uh, more likely receiving candidate just because he can do it doesn't mean that they are going to utilize him in that manner. He's never topped 300 yards. He's never topped 36 receptions in his career. And he's been doing this for a while. We have a pretty good data set. Last year, he had his second most receptions at 27. That's just not enough typically to finish as the RB1 overall. He was, I think, fifth or sixth last year in most formats. And that's a fantastic running back finish, but that does not make him uh, in the stratosphere of those truly elite producers. Who did they, they just traded for another running back. They did. They got Pierre and Strong. Pierre Strong. There you go. Yeah. Which, you know, probably that could easily be kind of the pass catching side of this. Um, 
I, you know, I, I think that the, that it's well within Jerome Ford's skill set as well. So they, there are kind of different ways for them to make up Kareem Hunt's uh, receiving um, production. So I, I feel bad, though, that we're just like a week before the season starts. We're just kind of taking back everything that we've been talking about for months, at least for me. <laughs> So, and, and again, I, I feel the same way with Nick Chubb. I think that, uh, you know, I think that there's top five upside there. Um, I just, I think that the, the, what we're really trying to do here is to drill down to who are some of the possibilities for running back one overall. Um, because like you said, I mean, that's a massive, massive advantage and that's something worth chasing. So, you know, I think that you want to look for that, but, uh, you know, so, so, you know, we, we, we're kind of splitting hairs a little bit is kind of what we're doing. We're getting extra ju- judicious about this and saying, these guys are going to be very good. Here's why they don't have running back one overall upside. So I, I just want to clarify here, like this isn't a at least for me, I'm not, uh, these are not guys I'm going to shy away from at all. JK Dobbins and Nick Chubb. I feel like, again, there are a lot of ways to win a championship. I think that combination could absolutely be one of them. And even if I get it wrong, uh, you know, even if we get it wrong here in terms of who's the running back one overall, even if we get it right, hell, like if you and I are in a league together, you've got Najee Harris, we get this right. He's running back one overall, but we're, we also get it right that Nick Chubb and J.K. Dobbins are top five, and you and I meet in the championship. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to say what would happen, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't think it's a foregone conclusion at all. I can tell you what would happen. We'd be starting Chuba Hubbard and Jarrett Patterson. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially how we play. Yeah. No, what I'm trying to say is that we're overconfident sometimes, and I want us to pull back on, on some of the potential arrogance, some of the ego of certainty as we enter the season. Nick Chubb is, you hear this all the time, he's the best pure runner of the football, whatever that means. He's a really good running back. He he runs violently with speed, great contact balance. He's he's an amazing football player. And to mm-hmm. have him highly rated is not a bad thing. However, he is more highly rated now than he was last year or the year before. Yeah. I yeah, I think so too. Um I'm trying to think of some of the well, okay, so I I think that if we're having this conversation where we probably need to talk about Bijan Robinson as well. Um, because that feels like in a lot of ways, like kind of the slam dunk pick for, you know, like the, the, the Vegas odds on who would finish his running back one overall, you know, if, if they considered just like all of the, all of the criteria, that we're kind of talking about like low usage, high draft capital, um, you know, good, but not great situation. Like, uh, haven't been running back one overall before that ends, that actually ends up being a big part of it. And that's something that last year I allowed myself to ignore with Saquon Barkley, but running back one overall almost never repeats. And it's been a long time since it has happened. So, 
it's narrative. It's, you know, it's not scientific, um, but it happens that way. So, you know, for me, like you have to eliminate anybody who's finished as running back one overall before. I equate it to the absolute elite marathon runners. Mm -hmm. Most of the best runners in the world in distance running put out their best marathon within their first five, most within their first three. You only have so many amazing races in your body yeah. because the attrition on your muscles, on your joints, on your bones is so severe when you're at this level of athleticism and competition that no human aside from Adrian Peterson or Frank Gore can withstand this for an extended period of time. It's just a matter of time before you break down in one meaningful way or another. So mm-hmm. I like where you're coming from with the Bijan take. I think that if you want to have, you know, a, a roster sexiness competition, I would put Bijan pretty high on that list because it makes me giddy just thinking about starting him in two weeks. I think it's going to be so fun Week one, when they line up and he gets the first carry, he goes for nine yards, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. I, I mean, we we just went through this a few years ago with Saquon Barkley. And that's that's part of what makes Bijan Robinson a little hard to ignore here um, is the fact that Bijan Robinson did do this. And man, like the the hype on Saquon Barkley when he first came out of college was intense enough. But then when he had that season, like it wasn't just that one run either. It was it was the, the entire season he looked awesome. And I mean, you you could not get him. Like you could not acquire him. There was just kind of not a way to do it that following off season. And so, yeah, like if, if this were to actually happen with Bijan Robinson, man, like it's going to make for some crazy, crazy markets. Uh, but man, like, I, like, I think we have to consider him. Don't we? I, like there, the only real knock that I have, well, two kind of minor knocks on Bijan Robinson. Um, first of all, rookie running backs, like it, it, it happened with Saquon Barkley. It typically does not happen though. I think Ezekiel Elliott might have done it as well. He might have finished his running back one overall his rookie season. I don't remember if that or maybe that was the girly season. But anyways, like that it it's happened. So you know I I can't completely just say, all right, that like that eliminates him, that disqualifies him. It doesn't happen often though. And there are some very specific reasons for this. First of all, the NFL season is quite a bit, uh, quite a bit longer than the college season, quite a bit more aggressive. Um, obviously just the the you know, the uh the job description of the running back position. Um and you know, that gets more treacherous once you get to the pro level. So, you know, we, we see these guys slow down quite a bit, uh, partway through the season, basically when you get to like what, 10 games or whatever it is, 12 games, whatever the college football season is, that's when they hit that rookie wall. (laughs) Like 
they're just kind of not ready for the full 17, you know, plus playoffs. Um, the other thing is, you know, you don't always see it, like these guys don't always have the trust of the coaching staff in terms of pass protection. And so you see a little bit of a committee approach. Jonathan Taylor was, was the exact same thing as a rookie in Indianapolis year two, he ended up, he's the running back one overall, but year one, he was very, he was stuck in a committee with multiple guys. Uh, so like that's that there's that there's also just the fact that I think Desmond Ritter is probably going to take off and run a little too much and it's going to slow down that entire offense and limit the opportunities. So I think he kind of caps Bijan Robinson's upside, but like, if we're being honest, you know, these are things that don't necessarily eliminate Bijan Robinson. It's just kind of like the most likely scenario is one of those two things prevents him from getting there. But I think we still have to consider him. Absolutely. And not, not all RB one overall seasons are created equal. A couple years ago, Jonathan Taylor averaged something like 23 points per game, which is really good, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the 28 points per game that we've seen in the past. Yeah. So it's, it's entirely possible that we have another one of those years and it's more accessible to get to the RB one overall position uh, through Bijan Robinson. I think you need to have, an incredible season, obviously, you need to have touchdowns go your way. And so the mm-hmm. question you have to ask yourself is if the passing volume is not going to be incredibly high to the running back, does Bijan have an opportunity to score more than 15 touchdowns? And I think he does. I think it's not super likely that he exceeds that total by much. But I think that if there is a general uh, down year at the running back position, and he hits, you know, the upper 10 to 15% of his probability of success, I think it's entirely possible he's the RB1 overall. Yeah. So it's him, it's Najee Harris. Who else Who else still kind of fits the mold? I, I really kind of eliminate Brees Hall and Javante Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, they mostly fit the criteria, except for, you know, this is year two after an ACL injury we're probably going to see them in and out of the lineup. So Travis Etienne is one that I would love to consider there, but uh, like I, we've talked a lot about Trevor Lawrence. I think that, that this is more of a pass heavy attack. Um, and I think that it's a, a this is a Trevor Lawrence season. So <laughs> like whatever running back you want to back in that, in that offense, I mean, go for it. But like, keep in mind that it all starts with Trevor Lawrence and whatever crumbs he allows to fall to whichever running back is just kind of bonus. I think it's entirely possible. They're one of the top handful, two, three, four teams in pass attempts this year. Um, And that's not necessarily bad for a running back. It creates more scoring opportunities. Um, There have been conflicting reports, rumors about his fear of catching a football, um, how he gets nervous catching a football. Hmm. Um, But he's one of the most explosive runners or athletes in the entire NFL. He is Mm -hmm. incredible with the ball in his hands. His contact balance is also amazing. So 
I think he is one of those players that does have that quote unquote asymmetrical upside that, you know, you look for at this position. My problem with Etienne is he's still valued really highly. And so it's more difficult to get him at a value. Yeah, that's probably true. What about who are some other guys? I mean, um, uh, oh, I just it just had a couple. And Ramondre, I just, Ramondre Stevenson's yeah. one. Tony Pollard, Jameer Gibbs. Um, so I don't, I don't think that Gibbs has that upside. I think mm, that uh, you know, and the big thing being David Montgomery. Um, and especially just we saw the way they managed that offense last year. Um, and, you know, that was with a less athletic version of David Montgomery in Jamal Williams. And, you know, a, probably a slightly better power runner uh, than Jameer Gibbs with DeAndre Swift. So, um, yeah, I think that that one gets split up a little bit too much. I think, you know, Gibbs is another one of those guys who probably has top 12 upside, but I probably wouldn't go much higher than that uh, just yet. Um, Would you relate that to CMC's first year where he was with Jonathan Stewart and he was, he must've been a top six or eight running back that being CMC. Uh, but Jonathan Stewart was very much involved. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, man, I don't even know. I, I mean, I actually think even more like looking at the Chargers uh, once they once it got to a point when they just could not deny Austin Eckler's athletic ability, particularly in a passing game, they were still pretty committed to Melvin Gordon, partly because of the first round draft capital versus undrafted free agent, tiny little guy. Um, but you know, they still, they, they used Eckler quite a bit out of the backfield, you know, catching the football. Um, and then, you know, Melvin Gordon was a little bit more like power back, um, than, uh, than what they kind of had Jonathan Stewart do, you know, you think that's more of a product of draft capital though. If Eckler was drafted 12th overall, I think he'd see the field a whole heck of a lot more as rookie year. Is a rookie probably, yeah. But I mean, I guess I'm kind of looking at it more as like, okay, at this point in Austin Eckler's career, and it was like year two, year three, something like that. It was like, all right, this guy's got to be on the field. I know that we've got a first round running back. I know that this guy's small, but like we've got to get him on the field. You know, I like I think they probably are going to feel that way about Jameer Gibbs. They're going to feel like, yeah, like there's there's some stuff that. You know, there's some flaws, uh, but the, we can't deny the talent. We've got to get him on the field. But we also, like, we we can't let him handle, you know, early down goal line, stuff like that. Like, that's not what we're looking for from him. Um, and so, you know, that's still going to be very much be a David Montgomery type of role. Like, that's that's my guess for how this season plays out for them. Like, I think that it's kind of a combination of David Montgomery being, uh, you know, talented enough to kind of command some work, but also just, uh, you know, kind of wanting to ease Jameer Gibbs in and, um, and, and, you know, kind of really just kind of magnifying some of the, the limitations. 
I will say first round running backs have just a tremendous hit rate mm-hmm. as top 12 running backs. And so I feel like there is, while we've never seen him play in the NFL in a real game, there is this probable floor. You are very likely based on historical hit rates, uh, first round picks, that he is going to be an RB1. And if he's not, he's going to be a very high RB2, no less than RB14. Yeah. And so I'm willing to take that type of a gamble. It doesn't feel like a gamble to me. I would rather bet on him than any, almost any of the running backs drafted in the second round uh, with one hit on their resume and some with two hits on their resume. Um, Mm -hmm. JK Dobbins hasn't even really hit yet. So Mm -hmm. there, there are these types of bets that you can make. And Jameer Gibbs is one of the safest ones um, in your dynasty and redraft leagues, honestly. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, That feels like a floor play though. But I, 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 I do think, I mean, at the very least Montgomery has to cap his upside a little bit. So but I, you, there's there's value in getting top twelve floor. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about, about that. Uh, it's just I I think that there's more ceiling with somebody who doesn't have you know a player the caliber of David Montgomery in the way like a Dobbins, mm-hmm. you know Chubb guys like that. Um, but man, it's yeah again like that. That's just that's that's me splitting hairs. That's not me saying. Oh yeah, I'm out on Jameer Gibbs. That's just me saying if we're chasing upside at running back and trying to find that running back one overall, I think that like we're we're kind of uh we're we're doing ourselves and everybody else a disservice if we if we uh you know ignore David Montgomery, ignore the way that Detroit offense ran last year with you know, fairly similar running backs in that, in the, in that backfield and just say, Oh yeah. Like Jameer Gibbs fits the mold. Um, yeah. 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 This is especially appropriate for the super friends who are in two leagues or one league, you know, just a few leagues. And these, these really matter um, because they can't play in a portfolio sense. They're not in 30 leagues. And so they can't take a chance, a chance on, Jameer Gibbs in one league in another league, you know, go for JK Dobbins or a Christian McCaffrey or a Nick Chubb. Each league matters because you can only choose, you know, 20 to 30 players at most to be on your roster. And so you have to make these individualized decisions and you can't play necessarily safe. Like I'm proposing. Sometimes you have to pick your guy, like you're saying, John, and Mm -hmm. try to shoot for that RB one overall upside. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and in fact, you know, in a lot of leagues, you have to start two running backs. So, you know, there's there's kind of a there's a time and a place where it makes a ton of sense to get, you know, high upside and high floor, um, you know, and just kind of mix those two to get pair those two together. So uh, and to me, Jameer Gibbs is more of a floor, of a floor type of play. And I think categor- categorizing him that way. Uh, can be super useful as well. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, man, I wish I could. I just had some names. Uh, so we were talking. You know, you mentioned Ramondre Stevenson. I think 
That's a possibility. I really don't like that offense. And Bill Belichick annoys me to no end. Like <laughs> the way he the just so Mac Jones to to me, I didn't I I'll admit I didn't watch every snap of every Patriots game. I you know, but what little bit I saw, Mac Jones was the third best quarterback on that roster this preseason. And that includes a guy uh, that they had who plays both quarterback and either wide receiver or tight end. I can't remember which, (laughs) but like he was still, he was, he was like pretty frequently, pretty regularly outplaying Mac Jones. And so they, they cut that guy, they cut Bailey Zappi just to get them out of the way so that Mac Jones doesn't have any, you know, superior competition at the quarterback position. And now they don't, they don't even have a backup for him at the moment. I, 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 they'll find somebody they've got a plan. They always do, but this is the type of thing that they do with their offense that just keeps it mediocre at best. And it's not just the quarterback position. They'll do stupid crap. Like, like they're they're probably gonna lean on Ezekiel Elliott quite a bit, you know. Like there's absolutely no reason to do it, but you know, just to for whatever reason, they're going to see Ramondre Stevenson, young and powerful, you know, good good uh, pass catcher out of the backfield, and they're still gonna fall in love with freaking Zeke Elliott for whatever reason, uh, like. And and at the very least, he's going to take enough of a workload to cap Ramondre Stevenson's upside, and it's absolutely infuriating. I see exactly where you're coming from, and when you were talking, I was just thinking they need to run like an old school Navy offense or something. I, as a football <laughs> fan, I would love it. I don't know if uh, the Super Friends remember this was back probably a decade ago, the Dolphins ran the Wildcat for like seven games in a row in all sorts of different formations and personnel groupings. And it worked for a while. They beat the Patriots themselves and made the playoffs. (laughs) And it was just like this weird, quirky, fun, magical thing. If Mac Jones can't do it, I hope we get another iteration of that where some legacy offense comes into play. Um, But to go back to Ramondre... He's just so good. You see him and the numbers back this up. Yep. He he could have a Josh Jacobs type of season and having Zeke there honestly probably helps him because his receiving profile is better than his rushing profile. And I don't mind rostering both of them in different circumstances and starting Zeke in certain weeks when I just need someone to grind out 11 carries for 36 yards and a touchdown and having the upside of Ramondre Stevenson, who I think could be, I think he could be the RB one overall. I think he is one of the handful who really could do it just based on the fact that he could catch 70 balls and he can score more than 10 touchdowns. And those two in combination, I I, I think of almost like a Leonard Fournette when he was with his, with the Jaguars on the last year of his, uh, his tenure there where he caught something like 98 passes and it didn't matter if they were high value targets, they were targets. And so that was a point. Yeah. 
All right, so here's one of the names I thought of. Uh, you just reminded me talking about Leonard Fournette. His replacement, Rashad White. You mean uh, Sean Tucker? <laughs> kinda. <laughs> kinda, actually. Uh, <laughs> I love Sean Tucker. Uh, yeah. So the other names that I came up with, it's the Seattle backfield, and we're kind of talking about the same basic thing. It's like the upside is there, but you have to guess right which one it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Is it is it Rashad White? Is it Sean Tucker? Are they actually willing to uh, to give Sean Tucker that type of opportunity? You know, despite the heart condition. I mean, I assume that that we're just completely past that. That's just history at this point. I mean, he made the roster. Like he's, he played in the preseason. He looked great. Like I, he didn't retire. He didn't die. Like, I, I assume that we're just saying, all right, yeah, that's a non-issue. Um, but are they willing to do that? Are they willing to take that step? That's number one. Also, that's, man, I don't know how good that offense is going to be with Baker Mayfield. Um, and, and the thing is, it, back to Ramondre Stevenson, it, it, you know, with, with this as well, but, like, the, the offense has to be competent. You can't like it, it. It has to be able to sustain drives. It has to be able to get you into scoring range. You know, like it's it, like you can't have one of the, the you know, it's it's going to disqualify you if you're a very good running back on a bottom, you know, five defense in the NF or bottom five offense in the NFL. And I think Ramondre though sometimes you can be the engine you can be the derrick henry or you can be the the zeke of several years ago where everything runs through you the tempo of the offense the scoring opportunities um you know the quarterback checks you you become sort of this focal point that is from another era and it can work with how light defenses are. They keep getting lighter and lighter. And so I think that there are opportunities for these true difference makers at the running back position to exert their will in ways that haven't been possible over the last four or five years. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I mean, for me, like, I just think again, you know, kind of tactically, like is a defense, how much do I have to worry about Mac Jones throwing to, to Devonte Parker? Is that going to, is that going to really compel me to, you know, to shift to a, like a cover two type of defense instead of when I could just load the box, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I kind of feel that way with Tampa Bay a little bit. Uh, like they've got good wide receiver, objectively good wide receivers, but it's Baker Mayfield. Like how much is he really going to, to move the needle in terms of, you know, defensive, uh, scheming. Um, so that, that, that makes it a little tough as well, but I still, I still kind of think that those guys, their upside is probably, probably like top eight, whoever it ends up being. So Stevenson for sure, whoever it ends up being between Tucker and, and Rashad White, like I think that that that's doable. I don't know that they can get to RB one overall. Seattle though, I think whoever if if they if they commit to one of those guys and don't just mess this whole thing up with a committee, 
I think whoever that is, the only problem is you have you have to make that bet right now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you have to pick a horse because I don't think you want both. Uh, I think that you know the the only way this works. So either there's a committee approach and neither of them are startable because you don't know who's going to get the 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 lion's share of the workload that week, or you know, you've got a 50-50 shot and one guy's awesome and one guy's worthless. So, like, it's not a backfield that you want to capture, I don't think. This isn't a handcuff scenario. This is a, a pick one and hope for the best. So I'm going to bastardize, uh, I think John Bosch says this, where the running backs are the last piece that you add, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a true contender, if you have Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson and Patrick Mahomes and I don't know, Mark, Ant- whatever. If you have this just amazing team, I don't mind overpaying for both okay. to guarantee the opportunity for said breakout. At worst, you get this muddled mess and you're kind of a bozo for overspending for this backfield, right? <laughs> But I look like a bozo all the time in some of the moves. That I <laughs> but if you hit right, if if you do get the outcome that you're talking about, John, and mm-hmm. you have these other teams, excuse me, these other players, that's an undefeated team, like glorious moment in your dynasty career that yeah. you will never forget. And so <laughs> only if you're an absolute favorite would I ever advocate getting a full Seattle backfield But I just, I reminisce about Chris Carson carrying me to championships and to do that and to plant your flag and say, screw you, ADP, screw you, trade calculators. I'm getting (laughs) both because I know one of these guys is going to be an absolute stud. And I don't care that it costs me two and a half first. I'm paying up for it and I'm going to win the championship and I'm going to go undefeated. And you guys can remember this forever where I took Charbonnet. And he scored 30 points in championship week. Yeah. Uh, Chris Carson is a super show legend, by the way. Like, that was one of my big hits. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the electric playmaker, Chris Carson. And nobody saw that coming. Over Rashad Penny, a first-round pick. Yeah, but, I mean, I yeah, saw that all along. This is a better player. It's just, are they willing to actually do this? I I'm I'm kind of feeling that way about Charbonnet. Uh, it's a much easier move for them to make. I just don't know if they will. You know, I like I feel like he's he's the better option for them if they're willing to bench Kenneth Walker for him. I just it's it's tough because I'm not sure if they will. Uh, and to your point, I you know I think the one other the one other criteria there is the, like we're talking dynasty at that point. Like it's got to be a deep roster, yes. deep bench. Um, then you're willing to do it. Like in a redraft league where you know it, like everybody on your roster has to be immediately startable. Yeah, it's I don't I don't think you can make that that bet. But I like it in dynasty. I like having fun in Dynasty, and there are certain moves that you can make that really push you into a different space than everyone else. And when there are opportunities, you should take them when you have a a super contender like that. But yeah, in redraft, absolutely no chance. No, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Is there anybody else uh, like we can't we can't end this episode just saying Najee Harris is the only possibility. (laughs) 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 We can't possibly do that to people right before their drafts. I mean, it's CMC. It's Derrick Henry. It's the old guys who have done this before, who are incredible, are the most likely to do it. And I I know you don't like hearing that, but like they're really good running backs. And until they stop being really good running backs, I'm going to bet on them. You know, CMC has a profile that we may never see again. I mean, he is in the Ladanian Tomlinson stratosphere of fantasy legend. And Derrick Henry consistently clocks the fastest time in the NFL at 260 pounds. I don't know how he is still doing what he's doing. He slowed down a little bit last year in terms of his quick feet in the short area, but He's still doing it. He is on a Titans team that just wants to keep feeding him the ball, apparently, and to build the offense around him. Even in PPR leagues, you have to consider him at the very top of the draft. That's fair. We the only problem is if we do that, we have to we have to be willing to ignore some criteria. Sure. Yeah. Um, for both of them, and so like yep. if we're if we're willing to do that, I think we also have to be willing to say all right well it you know it's possible that saquon barkley is the first running back in you know two decades or whatever to finish as a running back one overall twice in a single career you know I, like i i think that it opens the door for a couple other guys um certainly saquon i think uh um Man, maybe Dobbins makes it back into that conversation. I still don't think he has running back one overall upside, but like that's just kind of that's more of a gut feel because I think that like any criteria that we could point to, uh, we're we're also willing to dismiss for you know for 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 you know McCaffrey certainly McCaffrey. Like I'm with you on that one. I think that that's it's absolutely a possibility for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like he, he would be an outlier, but I think that that's possible. Can we go from the depths and predict an RB three who may um, ascend all the way up to this top handful that we're talking about? I've got one here. You're, you're going to go that far with Deuce Vaughn. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> 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 That's a good one. Um, no, I was thinking of Khalil Herbert. I think there's a chance yeah. that he seizes this job this year in a way that allows him to produce with this upper echelon. I think it's by far the least likely of anyone we've talked about, except for Sean Tucker, let's say. <laughs> um, but I think that there's a possibility that he's just a really good running back um, that has been underutilized thus far. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, yeah, that could absolutely. Yeah, like, I still really like Roshan Johnson, so I've been that's totally. I, I've I've been kind of off of Khalil Herbert, um, just because I really want to just manifest this for Roshan Johnson. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, either way, like that's either one of those guys could potentially uh, could have that type of upside. I think. Um, I was, I was just thinking about possibly, uh, 
so I don't believe in James Cook. Uh, I think Damian Harris is probably the running back that you want there. Um, with the and like if if it's not Harris, it's Latavius Murray. Like I think that though, like one of those two guys is kind of the hammer, kind of the the early downs goal line type of guy. Um, but in terms of like, if, if one guy was going to consolidate that backfield, it feels like it would be James cook. And it feels like the type of offense at this point that needs to establish the run a little bit more. Um, and not with, not Josh Allen. Like it needs to be, it needs to be actual running backs running the football for them like they need to evolve into a more well-rounded offense at this point yeah and I love the Damian Harris reference because he has been trashed all offseason um he's been injured too so somewhat fairly trashed but James Cook has never really done it ever since high school he's never really had more than like 11 carries He's, he's not a workhorse, and you don't have to be to be a usable running back. Tariq Cohen was, what do you have, something like 86 carries um, during his best year, and he was a very viable high-end RB, too. So there, there are certain pathways for him to be super valuable, but he has never proven that he is going to be something that is going to be in this uh, middle-to-high-end RB1 tier um, at least there's, there isn't much there aside from second round draft capital. And so I see Damian Harris and Latavius Murray as incredible end of bench stashes, because if they do intend to grind out games and, and establish the run and try to exert some form of a will, those are the players that are very likely going to be getting the carries. Yep. Miles Sanders could be a, a possibility. Yeah, I love that one. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, we would have to figure out in you know in New Orleans who's the guy and are they able to, you know, when Kamara gets back from suspension, are they able to to keep him off the field? Um, you know, is it Kendry Miller? Is it Jamal Williams? I, I it more like the the real question would be: Can Kendry Miller actually keep Jamal Williams off the field? Yeah, and the first thing I thought of was, is Kamara tradable? He has a $4 million dead cap if they trade him. So if they're not going anywhere, um, I could see them possibly moving him um, Mm midseason as a cap-shedding mechanism and consolidating that backfield, which would certainly allow for a high-end RB1 season. Yeah. Um, Green Bay would have to consolidate it. Minnesota, I don't, I don't feel like, like Alexander Madison would have to be the guy if there, if somebody on that roster has running back one overall upside. And I don't see that with, with him. Uh, even if he were able to keep that job for the entire season, which I think is the hardest piece of, of this whole thing for him. Yep. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't, I honestly just don't think he's good enough. I don't think he's a good enough player. Um, man, like, 
yeah, like I said, Green Bay, I think, would have to consolidate the backfield. Washington would have to consolidate the backfield. Philadelphia would finally have to consolidate the backfield behind <laughs> DeAndre Swift. And I just, like, these are all things that I just, I don't feel like it's going to happen. I mean, like, we're 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 really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel and I, I hate to say it because I keep talking about the running back position and how important it can be. And everybody wants to just kind of focus on wide receiver because it's so deep. But the reality is, you know, it like running back is still, it, you know, it like you said earlier, the, the, the advantage of the running back one overall is still more powerful than anything else. It's just, identifying that is so difficult right now. Like it really does feel like we're talking about Najee Harris or an outlier. You know, like I, I think that Nick Chubb probably still fits in that. Uh, It like without the receiving, it's going to be difficult, but I think that he, I think that he could uh, have that type of upside just, you know the nature of that of that offense i think that he's got that upside but so we're talking about Najee harris nick chubb and then outlier guys barkley would have to do it for a second time mccaffrey would have to do it for a second time they would both have to do it with you know significant usage in an injury history like but to me like those are the four names that you're Bichon. really looking yeah yeah Bijan, yeah, and which a li- another you know, a little bit of an outlier just because he's a rookie, but mm-hmm. yeah, those five guys. Uh, yeah. So um, we, we wanted to spend this episode planting some flags and we didn't end up doing it, but maybe we can, we can plant at least a couple here and let's start with just running back one overall. Like if you were going to just go, go make a big bet on who it's going to be, who is it? Man, this has been a good conversation, um, and it may have changed my opinion on on a couple of these guys. Um, I am actually going to go with someone we haven't talked too much about today. I'm actually going to go with Josh Jacobs as my likeliest to be RB1 this season. I don't see mm. a lot that has changed in his situation um, except for more contract instability and a willingness for him to test the market next year. Um, he's got all of the, uh, background things that we look for. He's got great draft capital. Um, he's done this before in a meaningful way. And I think he could do it again, um, and really push above his ADP, even though it has become inflated compared to last year. Okay. I like it. Well, I, I don't like it, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) I don't like it either, but I think it's very probable. Yeah. Yeah, it, it sure seems like it again. Like, you know, we kind of ran down this list and I mean, we didn't even mention Joe Mixon. No, um, no I, I just, yeah, I, I, I yeah, too many forces working against him. Right. Yeah. So I hate when people say no chance, but we could spend 10 minutes stating all the reasons why it's not probable. Yeah. Yep. Age usage, the offense efficiency. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's kind of a lot there, man. This is tough. If I was going to pick one, 
I think I'm, man, I'm going to, I, uh, I, okay. So it's a, it's a kind of a shoot the moon type of move anyways. Like that's what we're talking about here. So, um, like it, it, you make a controversial pick, you know, that's yep. kind of, that's kind of all there is to it. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go, I'm, I'm like trying to vamp here because I, I'm having a hard time just planting a flag on one guy. I, I think the guy that I, I still feel the best about is Nick Chubb. Okay. I think I'm going to stick with him. Um, it would be an outlier. It would be an outlier for Josh Jacobs. So yeah, I like, yeah, it's, it doesn't feel like the most likely, but I mean, we, we did that exercise last year. Who's the most likely it wasn't Josh Jacobs. Nope. So, <laughs> and that's what happened. So it wasn't Austin Eckler and that's what happened in PPR. So yeah. Um, we're not necessarily looking for like who checks every box. We're just, it's, there's, there's some, it's a little abstract as well. Yeah, let's uh, put a let's put a beer on this. I'll bet you a beer that uh, Jacobs in a points per game outscores Chubb. Okay, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. I like that. Um, what about wide receiver? Um, give me wide receiver one overall. The wide receiver one overall. My most rostered receiver is Justin Jefferson, which doesn't feel fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's in <laughs> fact let's let's make that that a stipulation. It can't be Jefferson. Yeah, I'm going to go down uh the list a little bit here and I am going to say the wide receiver one overall, dark horse Chris Olave. Ooh, I, I like, like this one. Yeah, it's got all of the ingredients. It's just the fact that there are so many wide receivers that have done this repeatedly. Um, we've got Tyreek Hills, right? We've got Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, Cooper Cup, who people are just criminally underrating again. Jamar Chase, Justin, like there is this really difficult ceiling to crack through. But if I'm going to reach below the most obvious candidates, I think Chris Olave could enter that fray and possibly finish as the wide receiver one overall. Would he be my bet if I had everybody available to me? Absolutely not. But I see him as a very likely candidate to ascend into that tier. Nice. I'm going with CD Lamb. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown is a very close second for me. Uh, basically, my ideal situation in a redraft league is to get both of those guys on the Love same it. roster. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see where. Do, let's just go to quarterback. I, I was I was gonna go more discussion on this, but I think the based on the time, we probably need to rock through this a little bit. So let's talk quarterback. Quarterback one overall, and you can absolutely say Pat Mahomes. I think that that's fair. If you think that that's actually gonna happen, like that's a safe bet. But you know, let's let's talk about like what you what you think is actually going to happen. No, I'm gonna piss you off. I'm gonna say it's Lamar Jackson. Um, oh, oh my god what <laughs> i don't care how variable his point scoring is you asked me who i think is going to be the number one quarterback and i think Fair. that 
he absolutely could be. Um, his passing volume has never been great. His touchdown efficiency has always been great. Yeah. His running efficiency has been out of this world. So you bring up the volume of passes, you bring up the opportunities to score. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's going to give you like four or five monster games instead of two or three. So uh, in the rest Five of the seasons, like he's <laughs> <laughs> so like, and so you end up with, uh, with the quarterback one overall on a, like what four and 13 roster. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about variable point scoring and how little consistency matters one day next off season. I am just going to hammer you and you're going to get so <laughs> with me. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I here's the thing, like some of this stuff it becomes like it's 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 very personal for me. It's very vindictive. And Lamar Jackson last year created a grudge between him and I. He doesn't even know I exist. But for me, he's one of one of the people I despise the absolute most. And it was because of the lack of efficiency and because of how many fantasy matchups I lost with a very good roster because my quarterback couldn't manage more than, you know, 13 fantasy points in a week. And, you know, and, and so I end up just kind of writing these guys off completely. I've got a whole list of guys like that that I'm just like, I will never, I will never trust that guy again. Mike Williams, I'm never going to trust him again. He might be in line for a monster season with Justin Herbert healthy, but I just, I refuse to ever mess with Mike Williams again because again, like the consistency is just so bad. So, like, if if you can convince me of this, this actually unlocks a lot of possibilities for me. You know, where we say there are a lot of ways to win a fantasy championship. I'm sitting here convinced that there here here are the guys who it's not possible to win with these guys. So if you can if you can change my mind on that, if you can prove me wrong on that, I mean it only improves the process. Absolutely. That's that's the type of content that maybe we can do during like a mid-year checkup as well, where we just we stop talking about waivers for one day. And we give you an extra podcast in your feed where we only talk about process, where we only talk about dynasty theory, and we dig into the weeds on one of these subjects. Yeah, I like that. That's going to be fun. So back to the quarterback position, since it's a super flex, super show. Uh, let's talk quarterbacks for just a minute before we wrap up. Um, is there going to be a... a year two breakout quarterback no like you've got like <laughs> you've got three you've got four options right and it would have to be Hal Ritter uh Pickett or Purdy yeah yeah like it depends on how you define breakout I think that all have their places in a redraft or a dynasty roster especially best ball um but how I would define a breakout where they're making a meaningful difference on your roster. Yep. Odds are pretty bad. And they suggest <laughs> that Pickett may be the only one who has any decent shot of hitting those odds. Um, it, we just hit a bad year at quarterback, it seems. And I know people are excited about Sam Howell and Desmond Ritt. Like, 
I know Purdy played well, but this is not a sustainable data set that is likely to continue succeeding. And if I'm wrong, God bless everyone who rostered these quarterbacks because you gained a lot of value. Yeah. So if I told you, you know, I've got my crystal ball out, I can see just kind of snapshots of the future. I see that one of the quarterbacks from either 2022 or 2023 rookie class, Mm -hmm. one guy broke out. I have no idea which guy it is, but I can tell you one of those guys broke out. So what do we, we've, we've got seven potential uh, candidates. One of those seven broke out in a big, big way this season. Mm -hmm. Who would you assume that that is? So this is a tough thing to, this goes back to the ego part of trying to predict who is going to be good and who's going to be bad. But if I, were to make a guess, I would guess Bryce Young. Um, okay. I, in my very uneducated, uh, <laughs> quote unquote, tape evaluation and seeing him play in the preseason, he looks the real deal. Um, he's got really good draft capital. And um, I think he's got as much runway as any, any of these other quarterbacks and as much of an opportunity as anybody else to succeed. Um, that owner, um, Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, he spends money. He um, he is not afraid to spend up uh, and try to build a winning team. I'm a, I'm a Jaguars fan, and we struggled through that with Shad Khan for a long time where he was spending money and not getting the results. But now we're at a point where we have our quarterback and the results are coming. I could see a very similar situation in which uh, Bryce Young hits and uh, – all of a sudden you've got something that is starting to roll downhill at a pretty rapid pace. Yeah. See, I, I, I think that he is for sure. He's a breakout. I think he's a year two breakout. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he feels like the safest bet. Uh, I kind of think that my assumption would be that it's Anthony Richardson. I just think he has the best skill set for just kind of immediate production, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, like they can easily just switch that offense to an RPO, especially if they don't give a shit about Jonathan Taylor, which they clearly don't. So they don't really care about the running game. It's, it's just like, just let Anthony Richardson do the things that he does best. It seems like that's where this is headed. And so, like as as much as I don't believe in him long term, I kind of think that of all those seven guys, I think he has, you know, by far the most upside here in in twenty twenty three. I see him almost the exact opposite of you, which is interesting. I, I see him as someone who's fantastic at avoiding sacks, and so if I were the Colts, I would try to pass it 600 times and see what he's got in terms of reading the field throughout the season and let him develop in that way. Um, I, I'm not necessarily seeing him as a uh, strictly running quarterback. He seems to have pretty strong pocket presence and those things tend to translate better in the NFL than a strict runner. Yeah. Abs- long-term. Absolutely. Um, I just, for one year, like, that's the thing, like these, these running, these run first quarterbacks, Mike Vick, uh, Cam Newton, um, you know, now I, I don't know if I want to pigeonhole Jalen Hurts just yet. I think mm-hmm. he can develop into more of a, 
uh, a, a pocket passer, Lamar Jackson. Like we we get that one monster break fantasy type of season from those guys, and that's kind of it, you know. And so, I, like I think that upside is there for Anthony Richardson. Like at some point, you're just gonna get this crazy, crazy scoring season from Anthony Richardson. But then it's going to be pretty inconsistent, pretty and pretty middle of the road the rest of the way, I think. And it probably needs to be pretty early on in his career, most likely, before defenses really kind of figure him out. So. Dynasty ADP would would agree with you as well as redraft. He seems to be a popular sleeper, um, especially in redraft sleep uh, redraft superflex leagues. Yeah. So if you have an opportunity to get him at value, it's it's certainly not a bad bet. Yeah. In most of my dynasty leagues, though, if I had an opportunity to take a quarterback or two, I I consistently took Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud over Anthony Richardson. For dynasty, I think those guys give you a lot more just kind of long-term stability. So um, what about – let's kind of look at like Geno Smith – and Jalen Hurts. I want to look at both of those guys from last year and and kind of think about who would be that guy this year. So Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, kind of second, third, like late second, early third round ADP last year, ends up, you know, now we're taking him top three pretty consistently. Um, so like who who is that type of value? And then Geno Smith, I mean, he was essentially free. He didn't he didn't produce the way Jalen hurts did, but that was, it was still a huge advantage to get kind of a borderline QB one for basically nothing. Like who are, who are some potential guys that can outperform ADP to that extent? I don't know if there is a Jalen hurts this year. Um, I think it's unlikely that there is a Jalen hurts ascension. Um, the, yeah. the players that may have an opportunity that are sort of, I don't know. Uh, how about Jordan Love? I think he has an opportunity to ascend in value pretty dramatically. Um, he was seen as the backup. He was seen as kind of left for dead, low probability of hitting. Um, so there's, there's some opportunity there. Um, I just trashed Sam Howell, but he has an opportunity <laughs> as well. I think um, what is more likely is a Geno Smith style of ascension where they were left for dead, kind of mocked, and they become a viable quarterback, someone who reads the field really well. And I think Geno was the most accurate quarterback in the league last year. Mm -hmm. I think Jimmy Garoppolo could be that. You've mentioned in previous episodes he never stays healthy. Well, until he does, you know, until the hits go his way, until the offensive line blocks the the hit that would have torn his ACL. Um, if there is going to be a Geno Smith type of player, I could see him rehabbing his dynasty value and having several more years of viable starts in him. Hmm. If he can stay healthy, absolutely. Yeah, that possibility is there. Um, it, like, if, if I was to, if I had mentioned Brock Purdy, you know, who's a guy uh, completely you know, just completely like not even thought of, like not just left for dead, but just kind of a complete afterthought. Yeah. Who, who becomes a starter. 
like to me it's Aiden O'Connell just mm-hmm. because again like I I I even put this in my rankings at dynastyleaguefootball.com I've ranked Aiden O'Connell and I ranked him kind of high and again it's it's you know it's it first of all with Garoppolo it's the health um it's also just the fact that I like he's never been a particularly like he's 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 like solid as an NFL quarterback, but he's not a proven winner exactly, you know. Even on a very, very good San Francisco roster, it was just kind of like what how much upside is is really there. And you know, so like I put on my rankings, I feel like Aiden O'Connell is an inevitability this year. Like that's I think it's a great one. Yeah, I think that he's got all the ingredients, and I think you're absolutely right um, to put him in this in this category um, yeah. in terms of likelihood to to perform that way. I think there's a few players at the quarterback position who could do pretty like things. Uh, Clayton Toon has every opportunity in front of him. He is a rookie quarterback with Arizona and everyone is projecting them to be a dumpster fire. And so I think there is a chance that he does get some starts uh, this season. I think that um, either Malik Willis or Will Levis could ascend in that type of way. If uh, Tannehill is underperforming in Tennessee or if he gets injured, I think that they are not so quietly ready to find the next chapter in Titans history. And they're just sort of hanging on as long as this ride lasts. But if, if the ride ends, I think they're going to be looking at their, their next quarterback. And then Kyle Trask, who I don't have a lot of belief in, but again, the opportunity is in front of him. Uh, Baker Mayfield is very much a hot and cold quarterback and more often cold. So he could get a few starts, and if he catches fire, he could possibly lead that team to the playoffs. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Um, Jen, I, like, I, I, Daniel Jones, I guess, is probably, I don't think he's that good. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. um, like, if, you know, Jalen Hurts, type of ascension is within his range of outcomes i just think that it's it's pretty unlikely um but i mean if there was one guy who you know with that possibility the other one that i would say um and it's it's strange to say this because this is a quarterback who's already been there before um but based on the adp based on you know how what people think of of the this guy as a player at this point, I think it's very possible that Deshaun Watson ends up with that same type of ascension, kind of the Jalen Hurts type of type of jump. Wow. Uh, yeah. I hadn't even considered that because I'm so high on him personally, but you're yeah. absolutely right. He is, he is exactly the type of player. Um, horrible person. I think we need to say that almost <laughs> every episode, but he's exactly the type of player that could find himself in the top three, four five quarterbacks in dynasty rankings by season's end. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Sam Darnold might be the Geno Smith okay. and it's, it's tough because like, I, so I think that we have to have this conversation now. We've talked a lot about Trey Lance 
um, and why Brock Purdy is better for the San Francisco 49ers and Trey Lance. And like, it's kind of gotten to a point where like that, that conversation kind of turned into Brock Purdy being like the perfect option for the San Francisco 49ers. Like that's the type of hyperbole you have to go to, to get through to people that like, no, this is, this is the right move for them to make. This is the move that they were going to make. And this was the move that they should have made. Now Trey Lance is out of the building and we can have an honest conversation about Brock Purdy <laughs> instead of trying to compare him to Trey Lance and talk about why he's still, even though he's less athletic, uh, why he's the better option for them. Now we get to just kind of be honest about this. Now it is tough because so what we do know about Brock Purdy is I mean, he unlocked that offense. He really did. Like they, they had one game where they had scored 30 or more points before he became the starter. And then he did it eight times between the rest of the regular season and the playoffs. He just kind of unlocks that offense. At least he did. They also went on a long winning streak. And the problem that is that we don't know for sure what his upside is because we didn't get to see him finish the game against the Philadelphia Eagles. We didn't get to see him lose a game in the playoffs. So we don't know. Like it, it maybe, maybe he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He doesn't fit that profile at all, but maybe he still could be. Um, and so that like there's there's still some stuff to kind of cling to a little bit as far as him being a good quarterback, but we just we just know between the draft pedigree, the athleticism, the arm strength, like Sam Darnold is is, is objectively a better quarterback. It's just a matter of like at some point does Brock Purdy come back to earth here? And if it happens during this season, I think that he's on a pretty short leash. I think they would love to get Sam Darnold in there. And I think that if they do, I like, I think that you're, you're looking at that, that Geno Smith type of production from Sam Darnold, who in redraft leagues, you're just going to pick up off of waivers. I think it's a really fascinating team to look at from a fantasy standpoint. Um, And you're absolutely right. The unlocking happened primarily by pushing Kittle into routes. They they operated a more traditional offense where they um, were using him in ways more similar to Kelsey um, than an inline, than an offensive lineman, really. Um, My concern with, swapping Darnold in as opposed to Purdy is he is so inaccurate and he is so (laughs) bad at reading the field that it's going to become even more of a first read offense. And so whoever Shanahan wants to feed the ball to feels like they're going to get 13 targets and the other uh, weapons in that offense are just going to starve. And I think it's going to be a really frustrating offense to have pieces of if Darnold is behind center. I think Purdy was a more equal distributor, a more balanced offensive weapon. He facilitated in ways that made it 
exciting to have Devo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey um, in ways that Lance simply would not have. And I don't think Darnold is likely to either based on his historic production. I don't have a ton of concern with Christian McCaffrey just because he is such a different player at the running back position compared to his peers. Um, But yeah, if Darnold is behind center, I would feel real nervous about my Kittle shares and I would be trying to get rid of Debo and Ayuk as soon as possible. Yeah, that's probably true too. Yeah. Um, should we talk, is it worth talking about tight ends just for a second? Like those are so hard to plant a flag on, but I mean, let's, let's plant a flag on one briefly that isn't Kelsey Kittle, um, Andrews, because you and I, we know we love those players. We've told the super friends to go get those players, but let's say that they just simply aren't available. You go out to trade, uh, for any of those tight ends and, you just get the, the door slammed in your face. You're in a redraft league and bop, 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 they're gone. And you never had a chance to draft them. Um, who, who are you looking at? Um, I'm waiting till uh, I'm all right with Friermuth. I'm all right with Dulcich. Like these are all very flawed players though. Um, I think that, that, uh, you know, I, I would probably be looking for a fairly, a little bit of a floor play uh, with, you know, and maybe an older guy, you know, like Gerald Everett, I think is a, is a possibility. Uh, David Njoku guys, you know, kind of guys like that guys in that range. And then I'm taking, I'm taking some shots at some upside. Jelani Woods is one of my favorites. I would say Tegan Quatoriano, but you don't have to draft him. <laughs> yeah. The only reason that you have to draft him is if you're in a league with me, but because like, <laughs> if you don't, I will, but like, yeah, like that, I think that that would be my move. I, the real, the real answer is get Kelsey or get Mark Andrews, just do it. But yeah, like if you don't, I think, I think I'm probably, you know, I'm, I'm looking for one of those safer guys who doesn't have a ton of upside and then those are my big, uh, high upside, you know, shoot the moon type of players. Um, Jelani Woods is being my, you know, my final answer here. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to take the easy way out, to be honest with you. I'm just going to try to pair my tight end with my quarterback. Um, with That's a good one, one too. Quarterbacks, just because it is such a, a mess at the tight end position. I mean, we can try to cherry pick. I like Njoku. Um, he's been a tear down option for me this off season, but if I've got, you know, a quarterback that isn't throwing footballs to Mark Andrews or Kelsey or Kittle, um, I'm just going to pair the two up because almost any other quarterback can be had, or excuse me, almost any other tight end can be had pretty cheaply. Um, Kincaid's been rising quite a bit in both redraft and dynasty. So those types of bets where players are getting a little steam, I'm, I'm not really willing to bet on until they truly break out at the tight end position. Cause the cost isn't that much higher. Right. Um, and so I'll, I'll just take the cheapest route I can to any type of a stack. I like that one. I got, I got a question the other day about Logan Thomas. Um, one of my friends DM'd me. I, I, I don't like to mention, uh, mention names when it's a DM just in case they're trying to hide from, 
the rest of their league. Um, if you if you at me <laughs> or like a trade poll or anything like that out in front of the entire world, I'm going to assume that you're fine with it. And I'm totally calling you out on the show. But uh, yeah, if it's DM, though, um, yeah, we're uh, uh, it's it's uh, patient uh, SFD privilege confidentiality. <laughs> so but he was asking about Logan Thomas and like that could kind of be the same thing. Um, and it, I know that this, that this, uh, fantasy player happens to really like Sam Howell. No idea if Sam Howell is on that roster, but if he is, I mean, like that's, that's kind of the application for, for Logan Thomas, I think, and probably the one application for Logan Thomas. It makes you, when you're right on Sam Howell, it makes you that much more right. You're yeah. exponentially increasing your point scoring potential, and if you're wrong, what does it really cost you in both redraft and dynasty? The combination of Logan Thomas and Sam Howell in dynasty, I mean, the 112 next year, right? I mean, something like that. And in redraft, I mean, they're at the very, both players are at the very ends of their respective startable positions. And so I, I love that type of an option if you don't have the true elites at quarterback or tight end. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's a, that's in, and I hadn't thought of that when, uh, when he asked me, so I was kind of, he was actually asking about both Logan Thomas and Cole Turner. And it was kind of like, I, I don't see much of a reason to, uh, to even take a shot with Cole Turner. Logan Thomas is, I mean, he's kind of in a pretty big tier of guys who, yeah, he could be fine from time to time um never gonna feel like you've got an advantage at tight end but that's definitely the application i think i i, I like what you're uh what you're i'm picking up what you're putting down there yeah don't don't roster a bunch of these guys you know yeah yeah one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> yeah like i said one kind of safer you know floor type of play um, and I think Logan Thomas can can fit that criteria. It's not ideal, but you know, that's certainly I, I would categorize him there over upside. But and then yeah, take some shots at upside, and we're gonna we're gonna keep you fully up to date on uh, with the the standard operating procedures this year. Tight end is always one that we can hammer because that one is just constantly evolving. So. Next week, this week always ends up with multiple tight ends that we can talk about. So, you know, if you don't end up with the right mix at tight end, you know, coming out of your draft, have no fear. We're going to get there before uh, before too long, just with the standard operating procedures. So we're going to start on those, in fact, next week. SOPs, uh, I don't know that we're going to have a ton of uh, of action items just yet. Uh, before the season actually starts, but I know waivers are going to start to run. So we're going to have some names for you to target on waivers. uh, Some guys to consider spending on some guys that you can probably drop going into the season. And of course, next week, this week um, stash some guys early uh, before they break out and cost you a ton of fab already have them on your roster. So Tommy, all kinds of, uh, stuff that we're going to get to next week to, to get everybody fully ready for the season. 
Um, so I guess this is kind of our last, uh, our last, you know, just full on strategy session, um, before the start of the season. So see you on the other side. <laughs> yeah, man, it's been fun talking strategy and we're going to interlace this into our conversations moving forward, but you're absolutely right. Um, Keep an eye out in your podcast feed, wherever you listen. Um, we're going to probably have most of our upcoming episodes out Tuesday. That way you've got an opportunity to get in, in front of your league mates in terms of some of these moves that we're proposing that you make. And we're also going to be available via DM um, if you have any questions or if you have any thoughts regarding what we say, um, because we want this to be helpful for you all year. That's why we're here. Always, always. He's at FF Tommy B. Reach out anytime. I'm at Superflex Dude. Reach out anytime. DMs at us. Send us those trade polls. We're always happy to share them. Uh, whatever it takes to get through this season, let's let's do it together and let's go get these championships won and uh, add some hardware to the shelves. Let's wrap this one up for the week. Wrap up this non-point scoring season for the year. And as we do that, we're going to ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF family of podcasts. Make a feed. Get access to all the great podcasts from DLF, including the Super Show. Once you've subscribed to the Super Show, if you would give us a rating and review, it really helps us to get out to more people, help more people find the podcast, uh, bring their thoughts and their questions to the conversation include more people in that conversation and it really just helps us to drill down on the topics that are the most useful to you our super friends again you can get at us on twitter x i am just gonna call it both hope that's all right it's twitter x whatever elon's thing um we're still there too uh thank you to dynastyleaguefootball.com for the platform here thank you to heart and soul radio for the music Thank you to my partner, my co-host, Tommy B, for the time. And above all else, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah.